Well, hello and welcome to yet another episode of Theology for You. Thank you for joining us today. We continue our series on uh, Google's Probs, uh, episode number uh, three for this. Today we're going to answer the question, what is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of, what does it mean to fear God? And remember with these episodes, we're looking at common theological problems that people are Googling. They're looking for answers to and we're trying to um, give answers from God's Word for it, and I'm excited about today. I've got a very special guest. Uh, it's my dad, also my uh, pastor, Craig Wilson. He pastors Grace Community Church. Anything good that you hear on here, he's probably had some influence on it, a lot of influence. Anything bad that you hear, he's had no influence on it. Um, so I'm glad to have him uh, with us today. Glad he's going to help us answer this question. And one reason I wanted to have him answer this question is he's preached on it a lot lately, just I recently preached through the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, the whole book is really driven by this topic of uh, the fear of the Lord. So, welcome. Glad you're here with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, glad to do it. So, uh, start, if you could, by telling us what the fear of God isn't. Okay. The fear of God isn't necessarily meaning that we are afraid of Him. Uh, like we would be afraid of somebody doing us harm. I think many times when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we truly don't understand how the Bible uses the term. And so if we think of the fear of the Lord only in terms of being afraid of somebody, like somebody that would do us harm, well, really we're doing an injustice to what the Bible teaches us about the fear of the Lord. Um, D.A. Carson said that the fear of the Lord certainly is not a slavish or servile fear of God. Having said that, there is an element that we should be afraid of God simply because of who he is, because of his character and because of his nature and because the fact that he's all powerful. Uh, I would just simply say God is not someone to be trifled with. Okay. So then where would you start and if we're going to define the fear of the Lord as scripture does, where would you start? On that. Well, I would go back, obviously, to the scriptures and let the scriptures define for us what the fear of the Lord is. And, you know, if you just do a search in scripture for that exact phrase, fear of the Lord, you'll see that it's mentioned numerous times, particularly in the book of Proverbs. And then in the book of Psalms, you see it used repeatedly. But one of the places that uh, I like to go to is back to the book of Ecclesiastes where at the end of the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the preacher you know, states it very clearly. He said, um, chapter 12, verse 13, he said, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So in this context, the, the preacher defines the fear of, of the Lord or the fear of God really as our obedience. There's not a proper fearing of God as the Bible describes it apart from obedience. So then do we fear so we're looking at this from the context of being in a relationship with God, right? Especially when you look at the Old Testament, God speaking to his covenant people, those people that he has established a um special relationship with if you will a saving relationship so when it comes down to our obedience in the fear of the lord how do how do all how does all that 
connect, if you will, like our obedience and fearing God. And Well, I like the way that D.A. Carson again says it. He makes a direct connection based upon the words of Psalm 130, verse 4, between our forgiveness and our fear of the Lord. And he says, I'm paraphrasing him now, that you really can't properly fear the Lord apart from being forgiven. In its most basic sense, we could say that the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of God, to reverence God, to show respect for God. Well, what's the beginning point of our standing in awe of God, or showing our reverence for God, or showing our respect for God? Well, all of that flows out of the relationship that we have that has come to us, or that we have because we have been forgiven, because we have been redeemed, because our relationship status with the Father has completely changed, where once we were his enemies, now we are, as Jesus says, we are his friends, we are part of the redeemed, we're part of the covenant community. So the fear of the Lord is that we're in awe of God, and that awe comes out of the fact that we have been forgiven. We had this incredible debt that we had to pay. Uh, we had this incredible burden that we couldn't rid ourselves of. But God has done that for us through Christ. And so, therefore, I'm in awe of what God has done for me through Christ. And that's the beginning of my fear of the Lord. So did you just connect the Old Testament with the Gospel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's significant that... Uh, you the, the the exact phrase fear of the lord is mentioned i think 25 times in the old testament and only two times in the new testament so we see this precursor here in the old testament but it's finally fulfilled in the new testament and jesus of course is the fulfillment of that covenant for us so in in scripture when we look at the fear of the lord um i know you've got some notes on proverbs and stuff what role does it really play in scripture uh the fear of the lord as as far as how scripture lays it out like what it is i'm thinking like uh preaching on psalm 111 this week even in psalm 111 it talks about how the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom so what role does this play throughout scripture well for starters uh, the bible makes it pretty clear that the fear of the lord is not optional for believers Um, It's something that should come naturally to us because of the relationship that we have with Christ and with the Father because of what he's done. So it should come naturally for us. But as we all know, we don't always do the things that we should be doing. And maybe because of misunderstanding of what the fear of the Lord is, we don't give much thought to it. But the Bible is pretty clear that you can't separate the fear of the Lord from your relationship. I mean, it's not an optional activity for the Christian. Um, And then if you go, you follow the scriptures and look at the scriptures, you always see that the fear of the Lord produces something in our lives. It has some kind of an effect in our lives. In other words, it's it's not a neutral activity. For instance, I just give you a few references here. Um, Proverbs 9.10, we're all familiar with probably, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Uh, Proverbs 16.6, by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. Proverbs 22.4 makes it very clear, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So, 
as I was thinking through those verses and writing down some of these notes, I thought, you know, how much more practical can our theology be than that? Mm-hmm. So the fear of the Lord is it's, it's more than just a belief. It's a belief that uh, creates action in our lives, and those actions create positive results in our lives as well. So if we had to look at it from a benefit standpoint, what is the be- biggest benefit to the Christian's life when we look at the fear of the Lord? Well, I think it deepens our relationship with our Heavenly Father because we have a proper view of Him. We have a, if I can say it this way, we have an ever-increasing view of Him. If, if we replace fear of the Lord with all of the Lord, the more that I get to know the Lord, the more I am in all of Him. And the, the deeper I go with Him, the more I learn about him, the more I reflect upon who I was and who I am now that I am Christ. What does that do? That makes me in all even that much more in light of what he's done for me. And I I think the church as a whole today suffers, suffers seriously from having a proper respect and reverence and awe of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why there's so much shallow Christianity is simply we don't have a proper fear of the Lord. Even to the degree, I, I, I think we may be at a point in the church where we need to go back to uh, the fear of the Lord and the fact that we're afraid of God. Uh, I think we have tried to bring God down to our level and make him so user-friendly that nobody's really afraid of God or what he might do. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so anyway. Well, I think R.C. Sproul, um, who we both enjoy and admire um, his his ministry doesn't he talk a lot about God being other right um, especially in his series the holiness of God mm-hmm. um, the fear of God gives you a sense of that otherness that God is not like us as Isaiah said my ways are not right. your ways my thoughts are not uh, your thoughts and just to kind of play off of what you said. I've just been amazed studying Psalm 111, and I won't give everything away because you'll hear this Sunday too, but the the whole psalm is about praise, and what's more practical for the Christian than praising God? But he ends it with, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. So the psalmist connects our praise of God. He says, praise the Lord to begin. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So he's his whole being is involved in this but then he in verses 3 through 9 he just goes through and he outlines what God has done for his people it says greater the works of the Lord Um, full of splendor and majesty it's his work I don't think you write statements like that if you don't have a proper fear of the Lord no I I don't think you could either I mean you know obviously the Psalms come from deep contemplation and meditation on the person and the works of God Again, something that's sort of lacking in our day. And you're, you're exactly right. Um, there's no way that you could write those words without being in awe of God and who he is and, and what he has done. So if you had to give two or three practical ways that the fear of God is worked out in life, just uh, obedience maybe the way that we view the scriptures and yeah, I, I think I would probably start with obedience. Uh, if I, and, and the reason I say that is because I think the Bible starts there. For instance, if we go to the New Testament, 
in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. Um, if we go back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Moses wrote and said, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. So I would say, you know, the beginning point, the fear of the Lord, a practical application, the outworking of it in my life would be be in my obedience. You know, I know that that's not a word that we like to hear a lot today in the church, but the reality is you cannot separate your profession of Christ apart from your obedience. It just doesn't work that way. So if I truly fear God, I will obey God. So we can always turn that around and say, if I'm not obeying God, I'm not what? I'm not fearing God. I'm not in awe of God. I'm not showing God the proper respect, the proper reverence for God. So we can look in a very practical way are we obeying the commands of Scripture? That would that would be one way. The second way I think would that it is very practical in our lives is as we contemplate and meditate on the nature and the character of God. That is going to do what? That's going to increase our all of God. That we're going to be uh, have that greater sense of, of fearing Him. And what's, what's more powerful in our lives, what's more needed in our lives than understanding our Heavenly Father to try and plumb the depths of His nature and uh, His wisdom and His riches and all of those things. So, you know, uh, if we would just, I think, you know, if someone's really interested in this subject, and I think any Christian should be, and just go through and, and look at the verses that talk about the fear of the Lord and see the, how it's connected to our obedience, see how it's connected to life, and, but then see all of the practical applications that, or the outworkings of this truth in our lives. So, you know, again, all theology is practical. Uh, none of it's impractical. Mm-hmm. God doesn't work that way. So if he tells us to fear him, well, he must have pretty good reason for us to, to obey that command and to learn to fear him. So a couple of fun, fun quick questions. Thank you for talking about that. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's, we do need to think more on it. Um, and it's been amazing I'm reading the Psalms right now my own personal Bible reading time how even in the Psalms which we equate with deep emotions and uh, joy and oftentimes sorrow you see this topic of the the fear of the Lord coming up time and again so it's very important Uh, a few quick questions for you favorite uh, Bible verse if you had to pick one oh boy it's been a long time since anybody asked me that question. You're um, welcome. <laughs> I, I I really think I would have to go with uh, Romans eight uh, one. I think would be my favorite Bible verse. And you probably won't hear that very often, but if you just think through the truth of that verse, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the most wonderful truth that you could ever try and wrap your mind around. So I would say Romans eight one. Favorite um, uh, the faithful listeners of theology for you will now understand that we're father and son because I've said that three or four times in the oh. last couple months. But yeah, that's right. I um, remember that now. Yeah. Um, favorite theological book. Favorite theological book, boy. Now narrow narrow that for me a little bit if you could. 
theology proper or uh, just in general, not necessarily. It could favorite Christian book, put it that way. Christian author, book about the Bible. I maybe I can. Oh boy, favorite book about the Bible. I've got again. I've got a lot of them as well. I would say, can I can I go this direction? And say anything written by Jerry Bridges. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I think I would have to say that. And and all of his books are so good. I don't know that I could pick one as my favorite over all the others. If you if you ever pull any Jerry Bridges books out of my library, they're all marked up. So um, we're big readers. So if you could recommend one book outside the Bible for people to read to enrich their relationship with God, their understanding of the Bible, what would you pick? Well, I'm going to go back to probably the book that is uh, the book and the author who's probably influenced me the most in, in my Christian life, and that would be John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus. Um, that book was uh, revolutionary to me in so many ways, having grown up in a in a fundamentalist background, and, and, and our church didn't didn't preach or teach or even hold to the kind of easy believe it, believism that Dr. MacArthur. Uh, highlights in the book, but I did see some elements of fundamentalism where there was too much stock put into man's effort and not nearly enough uh, credence given to what God does for us in our salvation. And, and I think if you want to really understand what the Bible means by salvation and how that transaction takes place in our lives, I don't think you could go too far wrong with the gospel according to Jesus. And another one that would be right on the tails of that would be The Doctrines of Grace by James Montgomery Boyce and Philip Ryken. They're both yeah. great books, yeah. Uh, I don't think you could go wrong with, with either one of those, you know. So, Favorite book of the Bible? Favorite book of the Bible? This is probably going to surprise... Well, can, can I change the question a little bit and say the favorite book that I've preached through? Yeah. I would say Ecclesiastes. Now, I'm probably saying that because I just recently finished it up. Um, but... It was a book that I'd never studied before, uh, had never really paid much attention to, but it, uh, it's such a great book that speaks to the needs of our day. Then on the heels of that, I would also have to say the Gospel of John. I mean, the Gospel of John is just, uh, uh, just an incredible book. If you want to know about Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's where I would start. You know, if you're, if you're going to start studying a book, and uh, you can't go wrong with the Gospel of John. Two, two more questions. Favorite um, uh, dead preacher? Favorite dead preacher. It's getting deep in here now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Favorite dead preacher. Oh. Well, I would have to say, I don't know how anybody could, I guess someone could have a different one, obviously, but I would have to say Spurgeon. Uh, just uh, the depth of his sermons mm-hmm. and his ability to connect them to real life. I, I, he was, he truly was the Prince of preachers. I, I, you know, obviously I'm old, but I wasn't old enough to hear him preach, but just to read his sermons is just a, a marvel. Uh, so I'd say Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. Right, right there with you. Favorite, uh, uh, fiction book or, uh, novel or, all those other books you read that aren't theologically driven or trying to help us understand the Bible. Again, I'm going to I'm going to hedge it a little bit, and I'd say anything written by David McCullough 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's written Truman. He's written The Path Between the Seas, which had to do with the um, uh, Panama Canal. He's written The Great Bridge, which has to do with the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. So anything, and he's written about the, the Johnstown flood. But out of those, I would say the my most favorite one would be uh, The Great Bridge, The Building of the Brooklyn Bridge. is a great book. And John Adams would be a close second with him. That's a very good book. Yeah. 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 Well, for folks, friends, whatever word I'm trying to say there, uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us today. I hope this has helped um, understand a very important um, uh, teaching in Scripture and since we're defining theology as the studied practice of knowing God, this is a very important aspect of our relationship with God, a very important aspect of of knowing God and obeying God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. Until next time, thanks for joining us.